Welcome to the Wealth Studying Podcast. This is episode 436. Today is December 6th, 2023. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder of Money Manager at InvestableWealth.com. Well, hey, you can hear my voice. My symptoms are getting a little bit better, but I'm still not 100%. I've heard from a lot of you that are suffering through similar prolonged coughs and things this season. Um, hey, let's just all grit our teeth and get through it. And maybe we'll get lucky and the government will come up with a vaccine to prevent this. Oh, I'm not going down that path. Hey, in any case, I've got a quick episode for you because there's a lot of talk about investing in bonds. And this is based on the assumption that rates are going to go down next year. Now, I generally don't invest in bonds because I think if you're going to take the risk of being in bonds, you might as well take the additional risk and be invested in equities because over time, they perform so much better than bonds. Now, in the past few years, I've totally avoided bonds and I've tried to explain to people, especially older people, that bonds are not safe. That's the bill of goods that they've been sold for the last 30 or so years because, in general, interest rates have been coming down since the highs of the 1980s. And when interest rates come down, bond value principles go up. So while owning bonds over that period of time, and especially in the decade following the great financial crisis, bonds did work out pretty well. But a couple years ago, when we got into the pandemic hysteria and stimulus, and rates effectively went to zero, bonds should become a no-man's land and totally uninvestable because you have to just make the assumption that rates can't stay at zero forever. And if that's the case, that means that they have to go up, at least somewhat, if not a great deal like we have seen over the past year or so. And the clincher there is when rates go up, the principal value of your bonds goes down. And so over the last three years, bonds and pretty much all categories of bonds, short-term, long-term, they've all lost money for the past three years. I don't have the stat in front of me right now, but I think TLT, which is the 20-year treasury, from its peak in 2020, it's down something like not close to 50%. I forget what the number is, maybe somewhere in the high 40-some percents. And again, this is a category that's sold to people as being, quote, safe. No investment is safe. To be an investment, it has to have some degree of risk. Otherwise, it's not even an investment. But when it has a great deal of risk, then it no longer becomes an investment and it becomes a speculation. And that's where I want to transition in today's episode right now because I want to talk about high-yield bonds. Again, a lot of people are talking about moving into bonds because they think rates are going to go down next year. That very well could be the case. One thing to consider, though, is that the Federal Reserve hasn't raised rates since this summer. I think July was the last rate increase that they did. Currently, the Fed funds rate is sitting at around 5.5%. Now, even though the Fed hasn't changed interest rates over these past five months, guess what? There's still been significant, and I mean significant, extreme variation within interest rates, and that's whether you're looking at mortgages or treasuries or corporate debt. When I talk about extreme variation, I'm saying that in terms of the United States being the reserve currency and the U.S. bond markets, especially U.S. treasuries, 
being the largest in the world, pretty much considered a safe haven, which you would expect not to have that much variation. But it has, just since July, again, about when the Fed held rates steady at 5.5%. The 10-year Treasury over that time has been down as much as 12 basis points and up about 1.13 basis points. And I'm talking in terms of nominal magnitude of where the interest rate has moved. And so while, you know, 1% doesn't seem like much, and so a move from, say, 375 to nearly 5%, which is only about a one and a quarter percent change in yield, but in terms of overall magnitude of moving from that 3.75 all the way up to almost five, that's a, a close to a 30% move in the actual increase in interest rates from a change over a period of time. That's substantial over a five-month period, especially when you're looking at a dominant globally traded currency like the U.S. dollar and like the 10-year treasury. And with these large swings in interest rates, and particularly with them moving up rather than moving down for the most part, if you were invested in the long-term bond through something like the TLT ETF, then over these past five months, you could have lost as much as over 18%. Now, that would have been a couple months ago when the 10-year Treasury was up near 5%. And while it has come down since then, but even today, just since July, TLT has lost about 6% just over these past five months. So in general, this is just an idea of what worries me about bonds in an interest rate environment where we really don't know where we're headed. Listen, for every argument you can make about interest rates going down, I can come up with the equally compelling reason as to why they're going up. And I'm not predicting either way whether they're going up or down. I simply don't know. With all the geopolitical issues and demographics and the need for some type of return to a 10-year treasury yield that's somewhat close to nominal GDP, I think it's highly likely that rates either continue to go up or at least don't go down anywhere near what a lot of people are thinking they're going to. But that all depends on whether or not we are seeing a new era of interest rates. Because over the last 15 years, since the financial crisis, rates have been artificially suppressed. That has caused a great deal of malinvestment in the form of zombie companies. And I've digressed from where I wanted to go with this original episode, but that's ultimately where I wanted to talk about. The zombie companies, which are spread out throughout not only the public markets, but also private. But in terms of what we're investing in, we're talking about publicly traded stocks. So I'm going to focus on that area. And whether you're talking about the S&P 500 or the small cap Russell 2000 or even the micro caps, Across the board, there are zombie companies sprinkled in there, and then the smaller you go, the more percentage of zombie companies there are. And when I talk about zombie companies, I mean companies that should have been dead a long time ago. These are companies that don't make money. They don't make a profit, a net profit. If you look at the Russell 2000, somewhere in the neighborhood of close to 40%, I don't know what the number is today, but maybe say 37, 38% of small cap stocks are not making a net profit, and that's using non-GAAP performance standards. So it's probably even much worse than that if you took out balance sheet engineering. 
These are companies that have been allowed to exist over the last 15 years or so because money was near free. And the financial system wasn't letting hardly anybody go out of business. It looks like that era of easy money and allowing all these zombie companies to flourish is coming to an end. But we don't know that for sure, and we don't know how long it will take, and we also don't know to what degree they'll let these companies fail. Because I got news for you, there's no way they're going to let 40% of small cap stocks fail. But they might let 5%, 10%, 15%, something like that, right? We, We just don't know. We also don't know to what degree the establishment can hold and prop these companies up. Because remember back to 2008, you know, prior to that, for the decade prior to 2008, a lot of mortgages were funded in what was called subprime loans, which essentially meant that these were not credit-worthy borrowers. Again, these were zombie consumers that were buying houses because the emphasis was on housing affordability and getting as many Americans to, you know, quote, experience the American dream and own a house as possible. Well, that didn't work out very well. Because about a decade into that, as a larger and larger percent of mortgages became subprime, and as a larger and larger percent of zombie borrowers were taking on these mortgages, the system eventually failed. And although the Federal Reserve and other central, you know, global central banks around the world prevented a complete meltdown in the financial system, the bottom line is, is that in 2008, these subprime loans not only brought down the U.S. economy, they brought down the global economy, and even today, we are still suffering from those effects. Now, when we look at the market situation today, overall, mortgages in the United States are pretty pretty darn good. Now, a lot of people are calling on a real estate collapse because it's like the generals always fight the previous war. People look back to 15 years ago and they saw the crisis in the financial system was with mortgages. And so a lot of people want to play that out again today. But remember, history doesn't repeat itself. It rhymes. I really don't think there's much, if any, problem in U.S. mortgages. I think the problem is in the zombie company debt. And well, we won't get into it today, but also in zombie municipality and, you know, muni bond type debt. But that's a whole other story. But in terms of these zombie companies, you know, how many will they let fail? Just say, again, 5%, 10%? I don't know what that percentage is. But there has to be some degree of getting rid of these zombie companies to get back to an overall normalcy with interest rates. And the only way for these zombie companies to go away is for them to actually go bankrupt and default on their debt. And that brings us all the way around to the concept of high-yield bonds. Now, whenever you hear high-yield bonds, you should, in your mind, say junk bonds. Because that's effectively what they are. Just like subprime loans were given to consumers that really couldn't afford the mortgage, essentially, high-yield bonds are debt that's issued to companies that are really not investment-worthy. So when you see these attractive corporate bond rates of, say, 85 or more percent, I'm not telling you not to buy those bonds or not to be in those bond funds. I'm just telling you to realize that you're investing in what could be called junk bonds. And while a lot of people claim that even if default rates rise in the next recession, that you're getting enough of an interest rate 
to still make the risk-reward worthwhile. Well, that really doesn't appeal to me because, again, if I'm going to be putting my money at risk, then I think the better performance over time is going to be in owning high-quality, growth-oriented, profit-oriented equity stocks. And on the extreme end of things, I think back to 2008 when the establishment thought that they could handle all these subprime loans, which they really couldn't. And so I'm not predicting a collapse in the junk bond market. But what happens if we do really go into a hard recession, and maybe not next year, but the year after? It doesn't, it doesn't matter when. I mean, that threat is always there. And if we do go into a real bad recession, I don't think it's going to be the mortgage market that suffers. I think it's going to be these junk bonds that suffer. And consider this. I mentioned that somewhere in the high 30% of the Russell 2000 small cap stocks are not profitable. Well, it's even worse than that, because in terms of being able to finance their debt, somewhere in the range of 30% of small cap stocks are not only not profitable, but they don't even generate enough cash flow to finance their debt. So again, it's back to like 2008, where you had these homeowners, they couldn't make their mortgage payments. That's where about 30% of these small cap companies are, and this is without the full impact of these higher interest rates affecting most of these companies. Business loans are like mortgage loans in the fact that they have a duration to them. Now, in many cases, mortgages are out for 30 years, but these small business loans, they don't go out that long in in duration. They're only maybe on a five-year lending cycle. And so as we go into 2024, companies that have last refinanced their debt back in, say, 2020, they're going to have to get new loans to cover their debt. And back in 2020, these junk bond companies were able to borrow money in somewhere in the 5% range, maybe five and a quarter, 5.3%. Today, with higher rates, that's up more like 8.5%. So again, if you have nearly 40% of companies that are not profitable and around 30% of these small cap companies that can't even finance their existing debt, How are they ever going to finance their debt or make a profit when the cost of borrowing their capital has gone from, you know, 5% to over 8.5%? That's over a 60% increase in their cost of capital. So I personally, I don't want to be anywhere near high-yield junk bonds. If and when I buy bonds or invest in bond funds, I want to stick to investment grade And that's really the key phrase that you want to look for if you are buying bonds or investing in bond funds. I'd encourage you to only invest in those that are investment grade. So look for that terminology and know even with that, there's still a percentage of risk associated with it, not so much from the companies going bankrupt, but from the fact that interest rates can still vary and possibly can still go higher. And think about it in these terms. For most people, if they're investing in bonds or bond funds, they're doing that because they want to reduce the risk. Because again, if you want to take risk, you're going to make far more money over time in equities than you are in bonds. So you're going into bonds because you don't want to take risk, or at least you want to take less risk. And if that's the case, then why would you invest in a bond or a bond fund that's non-investment grade? Right? If it's not an investment grade bond, then obviously it's a speculative bond. 
And if you're looking for safety, you want to minimize your speculation. So again, for me and my money, I would stick with investment grade bonds and bond funds. I don't care if junk bonds are paying eight and a half or more percent. They're paying that high rate of return for a reason because there's a correspondingly high risk for the overall principal of the investment. In any case, hey, a couple things. I should have mentioned this at the beginning of the episode. I did put out a blog post on Monday, and I think uh, over the weekend, Saturday or Sunday, I don't remember what day it was, I also put out a very short, less than 60-second video over at my YouTube channel. I bring this up just to mention that the content over the YouTube channel generally is different than what you're hearing in this long-format podcast. And likewise, what I'm putting in the blog post is something that's, you know, visual in nature where I want to show a chart or I want to put out a specific message about stocks that I'm buying or selling. So if that's of interest to you, you should consider subscribing to the YouTube channel and or subscribing to the blog post notifications. And by the way, if you are subscribed to the blog post notifications, you are subscribed. So if you're not receiving them, likely they're going into your spam folder I fight this on a daily basis, even with my client base, depending upon what server I'm sending emails from, they can get stuck in a spam folder. So the best I can say is whitelist anything that's coming from investablewealth.com or wealthsteading.com, and you'll greatly increase your chances of receiving my emails. Well, hey, as always, until the next episode, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best returns.